Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Laddermilk, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. Today we're going to do the second podcast in our first series. I'm very excited about this series. Yeah, how basically how things come into being in the universe. Um, how cosmic bodies get their start. Yeah, last time we talked we were discussing um, stars, yep. such as our sun. And uh, so we're... A very next, fine star it is. It's pretty good, I don't know. But today we're going to change the topic, and today we're talking about planets. Yeah. Let's just talk about planets for a sec here. A quick definition, maybe. A planet is a big body that revolves around the sun in a solar system. In our solar system, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. IAU spelled it out even more at that 2006 meeting when they booted Pluto. Do you Mm -hmm. remember this? It was a big deal when Pluto got booted. Yeah, yeah. Countless songs were written about it. Like what? Um, Oh, what's his name? Has one. DJ Roomba? No, not DJ. That was a separate (laughs) podcast joke. Um, no, um, oh, the rapper. Um, it's a really cool track. Bring back Pluto. I have What's no idea name? what you're talking um, about. All I can think of is diggable planets. Is that about Pluto? No, that was just the, I'm cool like that. I'm chill like that. You know, remember I don't that know, song? I know that song. Okay, it was kind of 1990s. So anyway, the, uh, the IAU spelled it out at their 2006 meeting. And they decided that in order to qualify as a planet, it wasn't just going to be a size game anymore. You have to orbit the sun, of course. You All have right, to have enough right. gravity to develop into a sphere. Okay, yeah, Pluto's and, a sphere. Yeah, yeah. But here's where Pluto gets knocked out of the park. According to an article in Universe Today by Fraser Kane, he said that Pluto would have to have cleared the neighborhood of its orbit. So what they're just saying here is that Pluto would have had to either sucked in surrounding bodies or knocked them away. And sorry, Pluto, you, you couldn't do that. Too much of a loner. So if we were just looking to our now eight planets to uh, figure out how planets form, we wouldn't have a whole lot of candidates for you know, developing theories and all sorts of stuff. So we've started to look to exoplanets, too. Yeah, and that's the that's one of the real key things about studying these uh, these very distant worlds, is that our understanding of, of solar systems and, and how they work and planetary, planetary formation, we base it on the model that we have closest at hand, which is our solar system. Which is logical. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, eventually you need to throw some more models in there so you know what is possible, you know? It's like if you were, you know, if you were like a lonely guy trying to figure out how, you know, women work and you only knew one girl, you know, you might get a pretty clear idea of how she works, but, you know, there are a lot of different ladies out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm tempted to probe this, and but I won't. I won't get into questions about your love life because we talk about science here. That's this right. is not the love line. Um, and women defy science. Indeed, they do. Yes. Do women defy logic? Some would say that. <laughs> so scientists need more data points, right, to figure out how planets form. So they look to exoplanets. Specifically, they have about 453 exoplanets as of, uh, right when we went into the Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> as of Cinco de Mayo. And actually, this is what Kepler is doing, by the way, looking for exoplanets in the Milky Way. The first exoplanet was actually uh, discovered by a, a radio astronomer at uh, Penn State. Uh, by the name of Dr. Alexander Wolfsakan. <laughs> I was waiting for you to try to say his last name. He has a crazy last name. When it's did just, he, when did he discover it? Um, it both, 94. Um, 
However, the body was rotating around a dead star or a pulsar. Right. So this wasn't very exciting. Well, I mean, it's exciting. Well, it was exciting, but it wasn't yeah. entirely. It's not the kind of place you want to hang out. I mean, the sun's dead there. Yeah. Yeah. So exoplanets fall roughly into two categories. You have worlds like our own, which are called appropriately enough Earth-like planets or mm-hmm. terrestrial planets, and then you have the gas giants like Jupiter, say. Yeah. And there are a whole lot fewer Earth-like planets around, but we'll come back to these categories in a sec. Oh, and of course, the other value in in finding exoplanets, especially those Earth-like exoplanets, is that we could one day possibly move there once we've totally used up this planet. Yeah, why not? Yeah. In fact, I mean, uh, a lot of people point out that that's going to be key to the long-term survival of the human race. Such as your new favorite idol, Stephen Hawking? Well, he's everybody's idol. Yeah. yeah, that's true. He is. So now that we've covered the basics of planets and exoplanets, let's do a little flashback to roughly 4.5 billion years ago. So set the stage, RL. What was the state of our solar system a few billion years back? Well, um, our sun was a fledgling protostar, still trying to pack in enough matter that it, so that it could get the gravity cranked up, get that nuclear fusion going, and, uh, you know, start actually doing some solar business. Um, everything else, just basically a big rotating cloud of particles called a solar nebula. So no planets, per se? No. Just, just cosmic dust. Mere twinkles in the universe's eye. Dust in the wind, except not really wind yet. That's coming, though. Right, it is coming. So with the formation of the sun, the remaining gas and dust was free to flatten into a rotating protoplanetary disk. Yeah. And then within the swirling debris, you get your rocky particles. They're starting to get all restless. They do some colliding. They're forming larger masses that soon attracted even more particles via gravity. Gravity yeah. is everybody's friend in this scenario. Right, and this is this is the same process that you see in, in most cosmic formation theories, uh, accretion where little particles are drawn together to become bigger particles, which then collide in other, with other like-sized particles. And it's just it's like the snowball going down the, the mountain, basically. Right. So some of these particles start to contract under gravity to create bodies called planetismals, which then collide with other planetismals to become the solid inner planets. And this is called the planetismal hypothesis. Meanwhile, what, what's going on with the gas giants? The uh, gas gi- giants actually come into being because you have gases that are frozen out there, and they're colliding with each other. They're forming these these big, giant balls of frozen gas, and uh, yeah, eventually those become the gas giants in the outer orbits. So why did the gas giants get the shaft? Why did they get relegated to the outer bounds of our solar system? Well, the theory is uh, the wind. I said the wind was coming back, uh, specifically the solar wind, and uh, this is... Not wind as you know it uh, on Earth, but it's plasma. A, yeah, it's a steady flow of plasma that emanates from a star. We have it today, but uh, back in the ye old days of the solar system, it was a lot stronger. Uh, strong enough to blast the lighter elements, such as hydrogen and helium, uh, away from the inner orbits. So, you know, they, they're blasted away, right? And the the, um, the farther they get away from the sun, the, the less uh, solar wind there is to propel them, all right? And then they get drawn into the gas giants, uh, the growing gas giants, which adds to their gravity and uh, and makes them more gaseous than the inner planets. Right. And then they're also pretty far away from the sun, so they get kind of cold, right? Yes. Everything chills back down for them. And that's a nice theory, but not so fast, because back in 1995, there was a little tweak. This goes right back to what we were talking about earlier, about how our solar system is the 
the closest best model for us to base all these theories on. But then we discover some sort of exoplanet that's doing something a little different, and it throws the theory into question, forces us to, uh, to tweak it. Right. So this particular exoplanet that messed with the theory was 51 Pegasi b, and it was a hot Jupiter that orbited very close to its sun. So what do we mean by a hot Jupiter? A sexy planet. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, it's like a Ju- it's like a Jupiter-esque planet, big gas giant, but it's close to the sun. It's in the inner orbit. Right. It's in not the- in the outer orbit like yeah. you might expect. So they were like, whoa, how, how'd that happen? And so this uh, new theory uh, it, is that uh, a planet like that still forms in the, uh, in the uh, outer orbit and then moves into the closer orbit. Right. Thanks to something called orbital migration. And orbital migration uh, concerned me at first because... I was thinking, well, shoot, what if our planets weren't in fixed orbitals? You know, what if Jupiter was migrating across the solar system and bam, was going to slam right into Earth and we would be gobbled up and consumed and cast into thousands of parts and orbiting around the sun haphazardly? That would, that would kind of stink. But no, 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 no. Uh, orbital migration in this sense is, is a finite process. Yeah, it's part of the formation of that solar system. And it stops. Yeah. Our, our solar system for now, pretty stable. Yeah, definitely pretty stable. So there you have it, um, from dust to a planet. Um, that's the, the basic genesis without getting into, uh, you know, more specific, uh, planetary formation, um, situations with the forming of a crust, et cetera. This All we is, are is dust in the wind, Robert. Or co- dust in the solar cosmic nebula. dust in the, uh, yeah, in the solar wind. <laughs> no, it, it really is fast. I mean, it's kind of, it sounds cliche and kind of like a, some sort of a hippie space song, but I mean, I mean, that dust that, that was, uh, you know, in the, primordial universe i mean we're essentially that you know matter can't be created or destroyed so we're all it's you know it's who we are it's trippy yeah yeah so uh, if you want to trip out in some more interesting articles go to the homepage. we've got all sorts of stuff like robert's new article on how planets form or doing some planet hunting or the search for extraterrestrial intelligence or even the drake equation did you ever read that i love yeah the drake yeah equation. Drake equation's great my probably my favorite equation <laughs> Uh, we also have a uh, Facebook now, Facebook account. We sure do. Yep, you can search for that under Stuff from the Science Lab. And if you go on Twitter, you can find us under Lab Stuff. We and Robert is nice really and short. Yeah. Robert's really rocking us out on Twitter these days. Yeah, we're trying to update it uh, pretty regularly with our, uh, you know, links to new articles, links to outside articles that we think are pretty groovy, and uh, just random stuff that comes up. Oh, and we have uh, viewer mail, we listener do. mail. We don't have viewers per se. We do have the snowmail, and this comes to us from Rico on the island of Hawaii. Yeah, this is the big island. Yeah. And Rico writes, Hello, science podcasters Allison and Robert. My name is Rico, and I live on the big island of Hawaii. I haven't been to the volcano park yet. I just moved here five months ago from Illinois. That's quite a move from Illinois to Hawaii. Yeah. First off, he says, I would trade VOG any day for fog. Perhaps I should enunciate that a little bit more. I would trade VOG with a V any day for fog. VOG isn't cool at all. It's so bad here, you can't even see the ocean that's seven miles away. Can't see the Kohala Mountains from Waikoloa. VOG is horrible, and it just messes up the beauty of Hawaii and sometimes gives you bad headaches. That's awesome. I mean, not the headaches. Rico also writes, Well, thanks for reading my ramble. I had to write this at 10 p.m. after I listened to the podcast. And for the second time, VOG is horrible and isn't better at all. Fog is the best. Signed, Rico. And That's get, so cute. Yeah. 
And again, fog is, of course, is volcanic fog. Right. So this pertained to the uh, Death by Volcano podcast that we just did a couple weeks ago. Well, Rico, I have to tell you, um, hit that Volcano National Park as soon as possible because that place is amazing. Like, seriously, like, like... I went there years and years ago and like, you can like basically walk under a rainbow in a crater. You can look down in a crater and there's a rainbow underneath you. It's, I mean, it's crazy. It's like being on another planet. Yeah, but maybe it's not so great if you live there all the time like well, Rico. That's, I mean, well, that's the thing. That's the thing about living in Hawaii from, uh, my buddy moved out there, uh, originally and, uh, he ended up, uh, you know, he, he was there for a couple of years, but then he came back. I mean, it's, it's rough living on an island. Yeah, even so if you do know how to surf. Even if it is awesome. So thanks for writing, Rico. We really like hearing from listeners. And if you want to send us an email about Hawaii or robots or Vogue or even the birth of a planet, send us an email at sciencestuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage.